And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet. John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Lord, as we turn to your word, would you speak to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to, uh, we've been during Advent interviewing a couple of people, some have volunteered, others have been conscripted. So Jessica is our latest conscript, would you uh, come up? And uh, just to get a picture of, you know, it's great to hear from, from us, from me, my jokes are fantastic, but though you don't appreciate them as much as you should, but really feel it's great to hear from members of the congregation. And so Jessica, tell us, um, good morning. Hi. Uh, how long have you and your family been coming to St. Bart's? We started coming in August of 2022. And our first Sunday, you were not here, so we kept coming back. Okay. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I see what you did there, it's clever. Um, and um, wow. Uh, so tell us, um, yeah, very He good. gave me the questions in advance, so I had time to I know, to she asked for a media prep. pack. So tell us, in the last, while you've been here, what's kind of, how has the Lord met you and your family? You've got three girls, married to David. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about what God has done in your life since coming. Um, well, I think really last fall, so fall of 2022, we, we, did Alpha, and I thought that was a really great thing for David and I to do together, um, and it created a good foundation for us to kind of wrestle with faith questions and also meet other people who are um, multi-generational, which I think is really important to have that cross-section of knowing people in the church. Um, and then this, more recently, this fall, we've both plugged into the children's ministry, and that's been just a huge blessing, not only to see what Katie and Cassie and the team have been doing, but then get to know y'all's kids. It's just really fun to see that. And um, as you mentioned, we have three of our own, but we both feel like it's important to serve in that capacity and just pour in. So I think having kind of the adult level set and then being plugged into kids gives a good, well-rounded, sorry, I'm not talking to the side. Um, Did you ever imagine how many goldfish a church could go through on a Sunday like we do? It's a lot. It is. We should have bought shares, but um, and tell us. So that's great. You've got the connection with you know adults and children and a good. I mean, there, which are there are a lot. There are a lot. You know, uh, what practical difference has that made in your day to day life? Um, I think it gives perspective. Like I, I think one of the things David and I like about this church is its size. You feel known and you're compelled to know other people, um, and then. Just being in community, I think, is such an important part of 
how we're called to live, and I feel like this church has helped us foster that and keep that at the center. Awesome. Thank you, Jessica. You're welcome. Round of applause for Jessica. Thank you. Uh, I love what you said about perspective, because I think that, that is so key, isn't it? And uh, one of the things we've been wanting to do and have been trying to do over, uh, certainly in my time being here, is to um, really get a sense of perspective. And to that end, Jen, why don't you come on up? Um, you, you were in for a treat. Uh, 14 months ago, I called Jen on a whim when she was in Nashville and said, hey, Jen, why don't you come and see what we're doing in Dallas, and maybe God will call you to Dallas. That was a bit tongue-in-cheek. Uh, and then here they are. Um, and Jen, as you've all heard since uh, they joined last February, has, uh, has a ministry that is of music, um, also music business, in case there are any inspiring recording artists, um, but also uh, has, and I knew this when I asked her to come check us out, um, has a ministry uh, speaking as well and has been trained and, and, and all that. So it's taken, uh, taken me, what's the month, December, this long to convince her <laughs> that it was time. And so I'm really thrilled. And that's part of our vision here uh, is that we believe that God has called us in community to be both powerful men and powerful women. And in order to be the people that God has called us to be in East Dallas, we need to hear from both. And as good as I am, <laughs> as, clever, <laughs> as clever as Chris is, uh, we, uh, you know, uh, we, we need to hear a varied voice. And so I'm just really thrilled. We're going to pray for Jen. Would you stretch out a hand of blessing? And let's pray. And we'll go from there. Lord, thank you for Jen. Thank you for the woman that she is, the heart you've given her. We pray that you put power on to her message and give us ears to hear what you are saying to us through her. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Dave. <laughs> I might need this. You might need this. There you go. Um, I am truly honored and honestly a little terrified to be standing here this morning with you. Um, preaching is something I certainly do not take lightly at all. And I actually am a self-proclaimed nerd um, whose love language is spreadsheets and study. And so I really prefer to be the one sitting and receiving the word rather than like occupying this office. But we're just going to journey together through these rich texts this morning. However, before we do, as Dave mentioned, it's been a year. And I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you. It, it was actually just a year ago last week where we officially knew that we were moving from, oh, didn't expect that wave, um, where, we were, um, where we realized that we were going to be moving from Nashville to East Dallas to be a part of the St. Bart's community. And the long and winding story that spans many years of how we got here uh, is one for another time, but it essentially boils down to finally at the end of last year, God unexpectedly telling us to go. And my husband Scott and I, along with our three children, <laughs> taking the imperfect and seemingly blind steps of faith at moments to just say yes, and here we are a year later. And we are deeply, deeply grateful to each of you for welcoming these random strangers into your midst here at St. Bart's. 
Thank you for loving our kids, for helping me navigate all the things like school and housing and childcare and doctors and the list goes on. Thank you for walking with us through unexpected joys this season. Thank you for walking with us through unexpected sorrows. Thank you for being with us. I am so grateful that when God entrusted us with the going, we trusted sometimes through that, like, I believe, help my unbelief stands, um, that he would go with us. And his presence is enough. He knows that we should know it. And yet, in the graciousness of God's mercy, he graciously gives us the gift of those to journey with us, which has been you for us. He allows us to be embodied among his people. So thank you for walking with us and for allowing us to imperfectly walk with you. I've always loved the season of Advent. I'm grateful in uh, my church growing up, we celebrated it somewhat loosely, but it invited us into the fullness of the season. And at our Three Streams Church in Nashville, it just helped us go even deeper into the season. But every year during Advent, it seems that something new comes to light in a new way for us, which is one of the great gifts of these repeating liturgical rhythms, isn't it? We've walked through advents of great joy. We've walked through advents of great loss and great newness, like this first advent here. And one thing that has been such a gift to us is uh, the new-to-us tradition here of the Advent wreath party. Um, I hope that you all got to go. If you didn't this year, please come next year. It was a blast. And honestly, we have never actually had an advent wreath in our home before. So this has been a real um, new experience for us to just visually have this reminder each week for our children to ask the questions as we read the prayers and light the candles. And yes, we are definitely not on the seven out of seven each week of reading the prayers and lighting the candles. But when we do it, it of course invites so many questions and um, which is such a gift. Um, I'm going to be honest, I have lost my spot. Give me just a second. Here we go. Okay. Um, and so one of the first questions that our kids asked, of course, is why is there this random pink candle here? And so this Sunday, as you see, the colors change from purple to pink. And I've actually worn the only pink thing that I think I've ever owned in my life just for the spirit of the occasion, because today is Gaudete Sunday. And Gaudete is Latin for the word rejoice. And it comes from the traditional mass entrance song that says the familiar line, but listen to the end, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice for the Lord is near. <laughs> And so it is in this week, in the season, in the journey through Advent, where the purple colors that invite us into the preparation and the prayer and the penance are somewhat interrupted, but actually continued with this pink color, meaning to rejoice. Because these first two weeks, we focus so much on the promise and the power that the Lord is coming. Hallelujah. And yet, he is still coming. And we take a moment in the midst of the waiting to rejoice because the Lord is coming and the Lord is near. 
with a rhythm similar to that of Lent, we also have that break in the midst of the rhythm of Lent, where we are reminded that yes, things are still not as it should be here in Advent. We still need the coming Savior to redeem us, and yet we can pause and rejoice that we know as people of the new covenant that he is near, he is with us, we rejoice. The world is still not as it should be. And yet, that pink candle is this tangible reminder of God being with us here, now, in the midst of our corporate and individual waiting. The God who was, and who is, and who is to come. Christ is near. Hallelujah. And it is this very tension between the waiting and the longing of the coming kingdom and the reality that Christ is very literally near where we find John in our gospel passage this morning. We can't fully comprehend the many layers of the question the Jews present to John asking, who are you? Without recognizing the deep messianic longing of the time during what some call the 400 silent years. This is the intertestamental period between the book of Micah that was written roughly in 420 BC and then the time when John the Baptist emerges on the scene. And though for us, we call it sometimes the silent years because we don't have canonical text from that time, it was anything but silent. It was filled with change. It was filled with questions and the longing for the coming kingdom. And I've already warned you that I am an absolute self-proclaimed nerd. So I also um, want to invite you on just a tiny nerdy journey of the things that went on during these 400 silent years. (laughs) It was during this time that it was the beginning of the Jewish diaspora and the massive cultural shift into Hellenistic Judaism. We're not going to go into each of these things, but I encourage you to Google it because it's fascinating. It was during this time that there was the establishment of the first synagogues. And this is when the common language changed from biblical Hebrew to Aramaic and to Hellenistic Greek. This also held the events of the Maccabean Revolt. And the rumors that could that Judas Maccabeus be the coming Messiah? And then what do we do when we realize that he was not? During this time was the production of the Greek Septuagint, which was the first translation of the Hebrew scriptures into another language, which was a gift and a massive change for the people of God. And throughout this time, we see the reigns of different dynasties over the Jews leading us to this place that we find at the entrance of the New Testament of Roman rule. And though we do not have much canonical text from this time, we can see that just as the people of God struggled waiting in the wilderness toward the promised land, and just as we struggle in our own seasons of waiting, the Lord invites us to today. The people of God certainly struggled during this time. There were, of course, those who joined their voices with the themes of the foremothers and forefathers before them saying, how long, O Lord, how long will this happen until you come to save us? And there had to have been those who remained faithful in the waiting. 
Those who we will never know their names and yet their significance is lasting as they instilled in each generation the truth of who God is and who they are as children of God waiting for the coming Messiah. And though we do not know their names or their stories, of course God does. And this is such an important reminder that nothing is wasted in the kingdom of God. And I really believe that this might be a word for somebody here this morning. That sometimes those who are faithful in the seemingly silent and unseen places make the biggest impact for the generations to come. That that faithfulness in those unseen, silent places, those years of waiting when we're not sure what God is doing, will you just come already? That prepared the way for John the Baptist to emerge on the scene. It prepared the way for some of the people of God to be ready because people had been faithful, passing on the story from one generation to another. And yet, just as in the wilderness, we see from the stories throughout the gospel that the people of God also succumbed to the human desire to create idols again and again with power and pride most often being one of the most tempting forces to hold on to. And so as the people of God echoed the prayers for the Messiah to come, and save his people and cast the mighty from their thrones. I wonder if they considered, or if we consider, how some of the thrones that may need to be cast down are out there and are also in here. Through the life of Jesus' ministry, we see that the idol of power within the people of God needed to be overthrown just as much as the Roman government. And so this is the tension of the genuine desire for the Messiah to come and make a new creation that we hear proclaimed in, in Isaiah. And the reality of what does it mean when the Messiah can come, not just to save them, but to save us. All, both of those sides of that tension is a part of why John was sent to prepare the way. And as Chris powerfully uh, talked about last week with the brilliant analogy of the vacuum that shines that terrifying light, <laughs> illuminating every speck of dust, Chris reminded us that the light isn't creating the dust. It is simply revealing what was already there so that it can be dealt with. And this is exactly where our gospel opens this morning. Preceding the verses that we read is this stunning entrance into the Gospel of John that I'm going to read here, um, where we clearly see who God is, who John is, and who John is not. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that, that any, and without him was not any. Thing made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light 
but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming to the world. And so we see that even before we get to this testimony of John that the gospel writer is clearly laying out, which then John embodies this incredible awareness of who he was and who he was not. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. And I love, there's a pastor named Stephen Cole that talked about this is a remarkable thing, how John introduces and how we see this throughout, that John the Baptist is introduced as a witness rather than rival of Jesus. That is powerful when you look at these stories, and it is a powerful metaphor to what each and every one of us is called to as witness and not rival to what God is doing. And so now, let's dive in to the passage from our gospel this morning in John 1, 19 through 28. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to read a little bit of it again with all of this context behind it. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. <laughs> he didn't really answer their question and yet answered it more powerfully than you could possibly answer. I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. And so they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. And this is what is so fascinating about how we are introduced to John the Baptist here. He knew exactly who he was, and he also knew that knowing who he was not in not being the Christ did not diminish his God-given purpose on this earth. It didn't give him a pass to be passive in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not passive, it is participatory. And it invites us to join with what God is doing. So he didn't allow the reality that he's not the Christ to give him a pass. It actually fueled and strengthened and clarified his mission. And by quoting Isaiah, he is saying he's the fulfillment of this prophecy, which was a huge statement in and of itself. And though that seems a little bit unattainable for us to think about the applications for our own life, Beyond even that, he was aware of his identity and calling as a witness of Christ, a teacher and rabbi who had disciples, but he never allowed that to go past the ultimate calling of pointing others to Christ, even at his own expense of losing followers and ultimately his own death. We see later on in John 1 that John again proclaims when he sees Jesus, behold the Lamb of God. And we see that as he proclaims that, Andrew, who is one of John the Baptist's disciples, hears that and immediately turns to follow Jesus, turns away from John as John is living out his calling, aware of who he is and who he is not, goes to follow Jesus. And Andrew then goes to his brother, Simon, Simon Peter, yes, that Peter, and tells him who he has heard about 
about. This is the Lamb of God. Come and see and follow. And so had John not been fully aware of who he was and who he was not, not to be passive in his calling, but to fuel his calling, would Andrew have been able to recognize so clearly and then call Simon Peter? I don't know. <laughs> the mystery of the kingdom of God is that we don't know, but how powerful is that? This is the part of the mystery of the upside down kingdom of God. Knowing that we are not the Christ does not actually diminish our purpose. It allows us to be strengthened in how we as unique image bearers of Christ fulfill our God-given purposes, big and most importantly, small. The limits of our humanity are a gift and a blessing because being our God's will always lead to destruction for us and for others. The language of this passage also seems to echo forward, clarifying who is this Christ. Later in John, we see those seven I am statements of who Jesus is, and I encourage you to dive into those this week. And it further illustrates who this Christ is and the one who we are invited to rest in. This language also seems to echo back slightly to Moses at the burning bush, experiencing Yahweh as I am in the midst of recognizing the bush that was burning and was not consumed. And yet in that story, and yes, certainly it's different, but we see the insecurity that we can often all identify with in Moses, not being aware of who he was when God was calling him. I am that I am. It's a similar exchange that the Jews and John are having. Wait, but I need to tell the people who is sending me, so could you clarify, please? I am that I am doesn't feel quite enough. He goes back and forth, back and forth. And it's almost like God saying, hey, wait a minute. I am not telling you to save my people. I will save my people, but I am going to do it through you. I'm not calling you to be savior. I am calling you to be witness to be faithful, I know it's hard, but I am with you. And so, <laughs> as we are invited into the some, some of the same invitation to be a witness of the Christ who made us, the Christ who calls us, the Christ who sees us, what does this mean for us? There's an invitation to both the comfort and conviction in both who we are and who we are not. It can be a really difficult thing for some of us to ask the question of who we are. And it can be a very difficult thing for some of us to ask the question, who are we not? The reality is, as unique image bearers, God may be bringing different things to mind for each of us, inviting us into that comfort and conviction. But here is what is freeing about this. Knowing who we are not, who we are not called to be, focuses and strengthens who we are. The kingdom of God is not passive, as I mentioned. It's participatory. <laughs> We do what is ours to do, and we invite God, though he could just do it anyways, but we surrender to God 
so that he does what only God can do. And this is one of the gifts the spiritual practices hold as an undercurrent of the reminder that I'm not the Christ. So when we come to worship each week to gather as a corporate body, in some ways we are saying, I am not the Christ. I cannot do this on my own. I have to join with other believers who are similar to me, who are different than me, to join my voices in these praises, to, to walk and journey with others in the messiness of life. That is an element of saying, I am not the Christ. I cannot do this on my own. What a gift. We submit ourselves to the word of God because as much as we wish that we did, we don't know everything. <laughs> and we must sit at his feet and be taught. We receive the invitation to the table because we recognize our need for the true savior and the true bread of life. We practice Sabbath, <laughs> which is one of the most difficult ones for me to be quite honest because we recognize our limits as a gift. And I am 100% asking the Lord to help me learn that because the limits, especially of time, in a season with little kids, <laughs> the limits do not feel like a gift. <laughs> and yet I trust that they are, they must be. And we understand that rest will actually lead to more focused and full work that won't actually kill us. <laughs> We tithe because we remember that it is God who is the capital P provider. I can't tell you the amount of times that Scott and I have walked through some unexpected financial circumstances. We have, and I'm sure we will again, and we look at the spreadsheet and think, if we could just not tithe, we could pay this bill. And we hear the Lord's invitation sometimes as a reminder to me whose preferred idols are control and power and independence. <laughs> I hear the Lord's invitation saying, you are not the Christ. I am provider. I will provide. And then we may be asked to recognize, again, our own idols and other areas of identity that have taken the place of Christ. I'm a parent, but I'm not called to be a perfect parent. <laughs> as a lead worshiper, my identity is as a worshiper and a leader, but I have to be reminded and stand firm in those callings and, and be aware that I am not called to lead others in worship. That's not my work to do. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. I cannot change hearts, but I can be faithful in my calling. I'm called to be peacemaker, which is not always the same thing as a peacekeeper. But I'm not the prince of peace. I cannot bring forth the lasting change. And so as we prepare to receive from the table this morning and let the word of God implant deeply into us, I invite you to ask the Lord who he might be telling you that you are which is powerful and wonderful and not to be belittled in any way and to receive the invitation that we are not the Christ. So as we confess with our lives who we are and who we are not and that we are not the Christ, we can actually be enlarged to allow the new creation to be birthed in us as we await the coming King. 
And therefore, we can rejoice because Christ is near. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the gift of your joy. That is different than happiness. <laughs> that can be a light into the deepest depths of darkness. That we somehow can even rejoice in the midst of suffering because you are with us. God, for those of us who've wondered if what we've been doing in the silent, quiet moments of our lives, the unseen spaces, wondering if this matters, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you see us, you are near, you are with us. For those of us who struggle with, who am I as your image bearer? I pray that you strengthen us in the remarkable gift it is to be your image bearer. That every single voice in your kingdom matters, represents a part of your image and is needed in the kingdom of God. Strengthen us in how you see us and how you are calling us. And for those of us who might be feeling the peaceful conviction where we have placed ourselves or other things onto a throne that only belongs to you, we thank you that your spirit leads in peace and not fear. And that as terrifying as it might be to wonder if we lay this thing down, what will happen? <laughs> we thank you that yet again you say, I am near. I am with you. I have not called you to walk this journey alone. Holy Spirit, come be in our midst. <laughs> we make space for you to move so that you can birth your new creation within us and that we may in our own ways prepare the way as a witness of the one and only Christ. Amen.